0: Well, uh, to the task at hand, every time I preach, I've been preaching on the book of Colossians. And uh, I preach probably about twice a year or so. So This is like the world's longest uh, series on the book of Colossians you'll ever experience uh, at a church. And uh, so today we're going to be in Colossians 3. And so since since there is time between the times I I preach, I do like to share a little bit of a background of the book before we uh, read the passage. And many of you know this book was written by the Apostle Paul Paul. but the, the church in Colossae was not founded by Paul. It was founded by a guy named Epaphras, who, while Paul was on his third missionary journey in, in Ephesus, Epaphras uh, heard the gospel uh, while there in Ephesus, They went back to Colossae, shared the gospel there, and a church was raised up um, through that. And over time, some, some issues sprang up in the church, uh, especially related to false teaching. And we don't know the exact nature of the false teaching, although we can kind of infer some things from looking at the letter Um, There was possibly some some Jewish legalistic teaching that was being done uh, in the church. There was possibly some Gnostic teaching. And maybe one of the tenets of Gnosticism is that uh, whatever happens uh, in the physical realm has no effect on your relationship with God. The spiritual and the physical are two separate uh, entities. Obviously that has some uh, heretical issues that the the Colossian church would have to, to deal with. And so Epaphras... Leaves Colossae and goes to Rome to Paul to say, hey, I need some more discipleship here, some personal discipleship, some training in ministry. And so they meet, and then Paul sends this letter with Epaphras back um, to Colossae. There's some other letters that were written at that time as well. Um, So that's where we're at. This letter comes back to the Colossian church addressing some of the struggles that Epaphras had shared with Paul. And then we have this this letter here. Let let me read what one study Bible lists as the theme uh, of the book Okay, it says, Christ is Lord over all creation, including the invisible realm. He has secured redemption for his people, enabling them to participate with him in his death, resurrection, and fullness. Let me read that one more time. It's kind of long. Let me read that one more time so that maybe you can look for some of this theme in uh, Colossians 3 when we read it here in a bit. Christ is Lord over all creation, including the invisible realm. He has secured redemption for his people, enabling them to participate with him in his death, resurrection and fullness now as we go to colossians 3 um, really i see in kind of verses 1 through 17 i see this pattern i see i see gospel put off gospel and put on and so why don't we read we'll go ahead and read verses 1 through 17 just to kind of get the full picture of that gospel put off gospel put on and so it's our that's our practice here to stand as we read the scripture just in honor of god and his word so would you stand with me i'll be reading from The English Standard Version. And we'll read Colossians starting in verse 1. And we're going to be hearing more teaching from 1 through 9. But we'll continue to verse 17 in our reading today. So let's start in verse 1. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual morality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. And these you too once walked when you were living in them. But now you must put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices. And have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is no Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free. But Christ is all and in all. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you. So you also must forgive. And above all, these put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. You can have a seat. Would you join me in praying just for our time in God's word this morning? Heavenly Father, we recognize our our deep need for you. I I hope we all can recognize our deep need for you now as as we approach this passage. Uh, We want to be able to understand the gospel afresh this morning. Lord, those of us who are believers in Christ want to know what it means to uh, put off our earthly desires. And so I pray that our hearts would be open this morning, our, our minds would be focused, and that we would be resolute to say, Lord, I want to be changed as a result of this time in your word. Would you begin that process in me? Would you begin that process in our church even right now? We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the, well, the year was uh, 2000. It was the fall. And Casey and, and I were experiencing parenthood for the first time. Our Avery was, was born uh, September of 2000 and we were down in Champaign we were ministering as part of a campus ministry at the University of Illinois and I had been invited to a a prayer meeting of of other campus missionaries and and pastors around the campus to to pray for the U of I campus and so uh, they did a devotional at the start and they broke us off into small groups to pray and and then we in our little small group we went around and shared different prayer requests personal prayer requests and also ministry prayer requests and it, it got to me And so I said, as any new parent typically does in those prayer request situations, would you pray for my wife and I as we endeavor to be godly parents to our our new son? And as I did that, there was a man next to me who had been on the mission field overseas for many years, and he was back in the States now, kind of in his retirement years in a sense, and was ministering on campus. And he kind of broke the norm of just continuing on with the next prayer request mentioned. And he said, Ben, I just want to say this to you. It is possible in our culture today, to rear children that want to love and know the Lord Jesus. And as, as a new dad, that, that, those words just kind of washed over me. <laughs> and I, I went home and I, I said them to Casey and they washed over her as well because you, know, we, you, you hear stories of just the challenges of, of parenthood. And, and uh, as we stand here on, on Mother's Day, we, you know, t- parenting is challenging. Um, it doesn't always go the way we think it's going to go. But that man, uh, he, he, he put some fuel, he gave us some fuel to, to do this parenting thing. And my guess is that although our interaction was brief, if I would have continued that conversation with him, that he would have said this as he continued is, and as you do that, Ben, you need the gospel. Uh, you're in desperate need of, of the gospel. The gospel is the most meaningful fuel that we need to live out our faith in Christ, to walk with the Lord in regards to parenting and every other aspect of our lives and paul here in colossians 3 writes of that gospel fuel doesn't he so the church was struggling right they were struggling with the, that legalistic teaching the uh the potential gnostic teaching they were just struggling with what it meant to walk with the lord and paul reminds them encourages them to fuel up with the gospel it's easy to listen to our flesh when we're struggling in our faith it's It's easy to look at those struggling around us and say, boy, I just don't have much hope to walk with God. Look how these people are struggling. It's easy to believe that maybe there's not real life change happening in our own lives or feel defeated by sin. But here's the, the message big idea for today. Here's what I want you to leave with. Despite the pressures around us, there is hope to put off our earthly desires. Despite all the pressures around us, there is hope ...to put off our earthly desires. Which leads us to our first point here. Our first point is that it takes gospel-fueled thinking. That's from verses 1 through 4. I didn't make it into the the page notes there. You can write verses 1 through 4. It takes gospel-fueled thinking. Let's go back to verse 1 of of Colossians 3. It says, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above... It's kind of this if then statement here. If you have been raised with Christ, then you'll seek the things that are above. There are some other if then statements that are pretty assured of in this world. You know, if I hit my toe as I came up the stage here, I would, then I would grab it and probably hop around and cry out for help. Um, if I were to tell an embarrassing story about my teenage sons and the sermon without asking their permission, then I would have a pretty hard afternoon, I'm sure. Um, there are some if-then statements that are pretty absolute. And how much more is this an absolute statement from God's word? If you've been raised with Christ, meaning if you've been co-resurrected with Christ. Isn't that a great statement? If you've been co-resurrected with Christ, if you've been given new life in Christ, then you would seek the things that are above. Of, of course you would seek the things above. It is the good and Natural or spiritual response to the gospel? Of course, I would. I've been raised with Christ. The seeking is—it's not. Oh, yeah, I've been raised with Christ. I should, you know, kind of when it's convenient or well, when I feel like it. I'll seek the things that are above. We can't help but do it. See, this word "seeking" here—the idea is, is striving earnestly. You strive earnestly to seek the things that are above. Now, some of you know that I, I, I'm a runner and I enjoy running, but run, running is hard. Can we just confess that, right? Running is hard. And, and uh, I have kids that, that run, and, and I'm suppressing all the daddy pride right now because they all ran personal records this last week in their meets. You can talk to me later, or I might put that on Facebook or something. But um, really excited for my kids in that. But, but run, running is, is difficult and and then they have these events called the hurdles where they put things in front of you as you run like that doesn't make sense to me like hard, it's hard to run and now you're going to make it harder for me i have to jump over obstacles to get to a finish line well this last week uh, we were at the middle i conference track meet and they they're running the hurdles and that's it's a high school track meet so my boys were running and they don't do the hurdles i yeah, I, God bless the hurdler, I tell you. Because this, this young man, I, I don't know what school he's from. It was a red singlet. It was either Pekin, Morton, or Metamora. And, and he takes off in the hurdles, and he's doing really well. It, it's the fast heat of the hurdles, so he's one of the top guys. And, and he's jumping over these hurdles, and then about four hurdles in, he clips one, stumbles, goes hands first, head first into the next hurdle, and then his face, his cheek, bam, on the track. And the whole crowd goes, oh, and waits And the rest of the boys, obviously, are still still heading down the track. This young man gets up, starts running, jumps over the next hurdle, jumps over the next hurdle, jumps over the next hurdle, and gets to the finish line. And we all just go crazy. <laughs> you know What was inside that boy? There was nothing stopping him from getting to that finish line that day. Right? Now I know some of you who aren't like sports enthusiasts, you may you know,, oh, a sports illustration. you might be. Okay, wake up, because here, here's, the, here's the point here. This boy had this, this young man had this desire to strive, right? He was earnest. I am going to get to that finish line. Here's where the illustration breaks down, right? He had a finish line. On earth, for here, for us, for believers, we get to keep striving. We, keep to, we desire to, to keep being earnest in our desire to seek the things that are above We continue to pursue his perspective. We continue to pursue eternal priorities. We continue to get his view of this life. Now now we see here that that Paul's rebuffing that potential Gnostic view that, hey, you know, seeking spiritual things and what happens here on earth, those are like separate in the Gnostic teaching. Paul's connecting them, right? We get to keep seeking as we're here on earth. Seek what is above then the verse goes on here to say, see things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. We need to remember the gospel here, right? Christ is what? He's seated. Why is he seated? Okay, now, Baptists, get your hands out of your pockets. Get them out from underneath your thighs. This might be a two-hand moment for us, right? Okay, I know we are historically Baptist church, but we might need to raise our hands on this. Christ is seated at his place of authority, having fully defeated sin and death fully defeated sin and death and as a response to his work on the cross we passionately seek his eternal perspective we strive earnestly to seek that eternal perspective so verse 1 is about striving you know it's coupled with verse 2 right verse 2 is about concentration let's look at verse 2 set your minds on things that are above not on things that are on earth. This setting here means to, to think, to have an inner disposition that is continuous. It's concentrated. Now, I don't know about you, um, I'll speak to the moms here since it's Mother's Day. Sometimes, uh, moms, at least with, with some of our children, you're trying to instruct them and they lack concentration. You know, hey, here's what I want you to do next. And they're, yeah, okay, all right. Are you listening to me? Yeah, I'm listening. Yeah, okay. What we had done when our kids were small is we would, as their eyes are wandering over, we, we'd approach them and, and we'd, we'd gently take their, uh, very gently, take their uh, head in our hands and we'd say, okay, here's what we want you to do. Teeth, pajamas, bed. Can get, and, and maybe their head's still wobbling. so I maybe mean, we have to kind of strengthen our grip a little bit. We'd say, uh, teeth, pajamas, can you say that with me? Teeth. Pajamas, bed. Okay, say it back to me. Teeth pajamas. Okay, great. Go. And we'd hope they have this inner disposition, right? This concentration to focus on what they're supposed to focus on. When I was a kid, I was convinced that if I took a compass and if I twirled around enough or threw it up in the air or held it upside down, that I could get that north needle not to point north. And so I would do that. I would twirl around and 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 do jumping jacks and then I'd, I'd come in and I'd boom, ah, whoosh, there it goes, back back to north. And I'd twirl it around again, and yeah, it's not gonna go back. Because this compass, right, had this, this inner disposition, and there's some sciencey things here too, probably, but I had this inner disposition <laughs> uh, to go, that needle to go to north every every time. There's this mindset that the believer has to do things like Philippians 4.8. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think. Think, have this disposition, have this concentration to think about these things. Now, as I say that, what I don't want you to hear is, you know, a shaking finger in your face saying, you better do these things, because this is not just a have to, it's a get to. I get to think about what's true. I get to think about what's honorable. I get to think about what's just. I get to think about what's pure. I get to think about what's lovely. I get to think about what's commendable. If there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, I get to think about these things. This is not just a request or a command here that Oh, we just have no hope to do it, right? It's a reasonable request in light of the gospel. So one, one commentator says that, that verses one and two, the set and seeking, is this idea of, of, of focusing upward and that verses three and four have us looking forward all because of the gospel's complete work in us. So let, let's look at verses three and four and this, this idea of looking forward. For you have died, verse three, And your life is hidden with Christ in God. See, we are dead to sin, for you have died. You have died, believer. And your life is hidden with Christ in God. So our position in Christ is that sin does not rule or identify us anymore. Because we are hidden with Christ. We are safely concealed with Christ in God. Isn't that an incredible picture? We are hidden. There's this sense of security wrapped up. We're secure with him. I think of the lyrics from the song From the Day. From the day you saved my soul so secure to, to the very moment when I come home I'll sing I'll dance my heart will overflow. Now when I was a kid I was convinced that there were monsters underneath my bed and uh So I I had a process, even at six years old, of how to get into bed. And I know that some of you that know me are shocked that Ben Davidson has an efficient process for something. Um, But here here was the process. Before I left my room with the light on to go brush my teeth, I would pull the covers down to the feet, okay? Go in the bathroom, brush my teeth, and then from the bathroom, I start running. And I run down the hall, and I leapt from the doorway, left hand back, tap the light off, while I'm in the air, Pressed, aren't you? And land in the bed, grab the covers, pull them up to my neck because all monsters know that once the covers are up, you can't touch me. (laughs) And so I pull those covers up to my neck. And of course monsters know that there's this invisible force field over the head because that's untouchable. Um, But that's what it meant for me to feel this kind of safety, this safe and secure uh, sense here. And uh, kids, just so you know, there are not monsters underneath your bed. I've checked lots of beds when I was a kid. Never found one. Um, But still, I believe that. But that's what it took for me to have this sense of safety and security. How much more, in the truth of Scripture, say we are are hidden with Christ in God. So, kids, if you're struggling with that idea that there's there's something in my bedroom, you can be hidden with Christ in God. You can be safe and secure in Jesus. And your parents can, too. Verse 4, when Christ, who is your life, appears then you will also appear with him in glory. If you look forward here, who, who, is light, who is Christ? He is your life. He is your life. And when the rapture comes at the end of days, we will appear with him in glory. We will be with Jesus. And we look forward to that day. See, the, the gospel suggests enrapture our, our lives. Now, I, I've taught a class kind of on a monthly basis. There's another one here uh, later this month. That you can. I think it's probably on our website, but it's called "Making Conversations Gospel Centered." And the idea of the class, we're using this book called Evangelism by um, Styles. This is his last name. Um, and uh, the idea is is creating a culture of evangelism within the church. And the idea is that as, as churches, we sometimes believe that evangelism is like pushing this this boulder up a hill. Oh, I gotta share my faith, and it's so hard, and it's scary, and 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 I think what Stiles writes about is, is um, who who said evangelism has to be scary? Who's the person that said that first? Because I'd like to talk to that person and take them out to the back. You know, because why why is that a scary thing? Who is Christ? Your life. You've been hidden with Christ in God, right? And so when you brush up against me, there should be this like gospel ooze that comes out of me and onto you because I'm just so excited about the gospel. And, and the gospel is not something that becomes scary. It's just me talking about my life. And I love what Style says in the book evangelism. It's part of the Nine Mark series. He says, it no longer becomes pushing this boulder up the hill. It becomes chasing the ball down the hill. Woo! We're sharing our faith because Christ is our life. It's not a scary thing. It's not something I have to work up this boldness and I have to try to do this it's just it comes out of us I'm going to poke some of you afterwards see if I get some ooze on me we want to exemplify to a dying world that Christ is our life I was listening to a a podcast while I was running uh, this week and uh, for those of you who think uh, you know podcast is really high tech techie thing let me just help you uh, it's a recorded message that's posted to the internet, okay? I don't know why we call them podcasts, um, but maybe it's less syllables than recorded message over the internet, um, but it's just recorded message on the internet, and uh, they are so very helpful. This, I, I've downloaded the, the app, The Gospel Coalition, and if you download that app, click on media, and you've got podcasts galore. So I was listening to one by Mark Dever about our changing culture and standing up for Christ and our changing culture and he, he said this statement. He said, whenever you recognize the reality that we are not in hell, it's dancing time for Christians. It's not a great picture. Whenever you recognize that you're not in hell, it's dancing time. That's an incredible reality. So I stopped at how I was running, and I opened up uh, my Evernote app and tapped on the, the, the speaker thing so I could speak that, so I could quote it in this sermon. And so I had to say it kind of loud, and I was right along uh, somewhere in Devonshire subdivision, I think. And I, I, I said this, you know, wherever we recognize, that we are not in hell? And I paused, and I looked up, and there was a guy about 10 feet in front of me. <laughs> And so I had to say the next part to make sure he heard it. It's dancing time for Christians. You know, just to make sure he heard the whole thing. I wasn't condemning him to hell. I didn't know who he was. Um, But it's not a great reality. Something that we should shout to people 10 feet in front of me. I am thankful I'm not in hell. It's dancing time. Right? We get excited about the gospel. He is our life. So what's the application for this first point? Gospel-fueled thinking. You have a spot on your notes that says applications for this morning. Christ is your life. Believer, you want that. Maybe not on an emotional level right now. Maybe you're here struggling with sin, but the Holy Spirit inside of you is screaming out, you want this. I've been to more basketball, softball, cross-country track events than I can count. And these kids today, they yell this, this phrase, you've got this to the person go up to bat, to the person lining up at the starting line. I'm not exactly sure what that means. You've got this victory. You've got this at bat. You've got this, I don't know. But believer, you've got this. You've got this inside of you. You've got the Holy Spirit in you that says, I want Christ to be my life. I want this gospel ooze to flow out of me. If you're not yet a believer, you can have this. Four words, God, man. Jesus' response, there is a God who's incredibly loving. He's also just. And so man has sinned and he has to pour his wrath out on sin. He's a just God and a loving God. And so he sent his son Jesus, God, man, Jesus, to pay the penalty for your sin and my sin that I justly deserve to pay myself. But we have to respond, God, man, Jesus, response, respond to that free gift he offers for that sin to be paid for through faith and repentance in him. You can have this. You can start that today. What a Mother's Day that would be, a memorable Mother's Day, if you would begin that relationship today. For those of us who are believers in this book, uh, The Cross-Centered Life by C.J. Mahaney, probably one of my top three books I've ever read. There's a couple of copies I put at the Welcome Center if you want to get one. He talks about the cross-centered life. Um, how do we apply the gospel to our lives? So he gives five quick helps. First, memorize the gospel. He says, you might think you're not good at memorizing scripture. That's okay. Don't give up. And he lists a bunch of scriptures here that are just gospel-rich scriptures that we can memorize. Number two, he says, pray the gospel. He says, there's nothing complicated about this. To pray the gospel, simply begin by thanking God for the blessing of eternal life purchased through the death of his son. Number three, he says, sing the gospel. I love the songs we sing at this church because they're so gospel-rich. And you can get these songs. Listen to them before our worship services online on our on our website or our Facebook page listen to them after you can keep singing these these songs number 4 he says uh, to review how the gospel has changed you he talks about how, how Paul refers to himself and, and how he was in the past and how he is in the future and so it's vital for us never forget as well he says we need to follow Paul's example we can all say i was once a blank my identity was this Aspect of sin, but now I'm a child of God. He also says, number five, to study the gospel. Camp out in the books of Romans and Galatians. Don't be afraid of technical theological terms like atonement, substitution, propitiation, justification, redemption, reconciliation, and salvation. Study those words. Let those words drip on you as you see the richness of these deep theological truths. Lastly, he says, don't try to do this on your own. Cooperate with the Holy Spirit in you and and do it with other believers to remember the gospel together. Great applications for this first point from the cross-centered life. Let's transition here to our our second point. And we see this transition in the hymn by Thomas Kelly called Stricken, Smitten, and Afflicted. Gospel-fueled thinking. Okay, let me read this to you. Stricken, Smitten, and Afflicted, this sermon begins, this uh, hymn begins, I'm sorry. See him dying on the tree. Tis Christ by man rejected. Yes, my soul, tis he, tis he. Tis the long expected prophet, David's son, yet David's Lord. Proofs I see sufficient of it. Tis the true and faithful word. Now he transitions to gospel fuel dying. Ye who think of sin but lightly, nor suppose the evil great, here may view its nature rightly, here its guilt may estimate. Mark the sacrifice appointed, see who bears the awful load. Tis the word, the Lord's anointed, son of man and son of God. Leads to our second point here. Gospel fueled thinking leads to gospel-fueled dying. Gospel-fueled thinking leads to gospel-fueled dying. This is verses five through nine. Let me reread those verses for us. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you: sexual morality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you too once walked when you were living in them. But now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another. Seeing that you put off the old self with its practices. And I think the rest of the passage talks about the gospel again and putting on. A commentary I was reading by John MacArthur, I think it gives us a good structure for these remaining verses, 5 through 9. Okay, It has the therefore So in light of the gospel-fueled thinking, therefore, let's let's lead to gospel-fueled dying. But here's the structure that MacArthur gives to uh, verses 5 through 9. Verse 5, personal sins of desire. 6 and 7, reasons to put sin to death. 8 and 9, social sins of speech. So verse 5, personal sins of desire. We put off those earthly desires. Verse 6 and 7, Paul gives a reminder of reasons to put sin to death. And then verse eight and nine, social sins of of speech. Now this is, I don't think we see an exhaustive list of our earthly desires in this passage, but it's certainly uh, nonetheless important things to put off. So let's look at verse five. Put off, or put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual morality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. It goes from actions to motives here, you see. Um, Sexual morality, is the first one listed here? I, I don't know this for sure, but I wonder if Paul puts a special emphasis on here on sexual morality because he knows the damage that sexual morality has done to, to Christ's church, uh, an earthly act that tears away at, at so many. Uh, he puts a high—I think there's a high priority in Scripture on on ridding ourselves of sexual morality, of fighting against sex immorality. First Thessalonians four three says, "This is the will of God, your sanctification, that you must abstain from." Sexual immorality. The next word is impurity here. So it's not just the act of immorality, but the thoughts and intentions of our hearts of so the impurity. Then we see passion and evil desire maybe coupled together, that, that passion is the sexual lust acted out. At least that's how it's used the two other times as mentioned in the New Testament. And then this evil desire is sexual lust in the mind. So passion being sexual lust acted out and Uh, evil desire being sexual lust in the mind then it leads to covetousness here this kind of greed Um, I think this kind of greed is mentioned all throughout the Bible it's the last of the ten commandments it refers to our desires to have more than what we have and we start worshipping those desires and it becomes idolatrous and we worship it we can't get it and so we lack being satisfied in him and obedient to the Lord some applications from this. Um, look, look at the list again. Would you put your eyes back on that verse? What's, what's an evil, what's, what's an earthly desire you have that you need to jot down and say, God, I need help. Help me to have gospel-fueled thinking so I can put to death, I can put down this earthly desire. If you look at verses 6 and 7, the reasons to put sin to death, Paul throws some reminders in here for us because he knows, boy, I've just really challenged the church here. I know they're struggling with some of these earthly desires. Let me give some hope here, some reasons. On account of these, verse 6, the wrath of God is coming, and these you too once walked when you were living in them. Romans 1.8 says the wrath of God is revealed against all ungodliness and unrighteousness. The idea here is since, since you're a follower of Jesus, have some hope here you don't want to do those things you used to do. You don't want to. That's not your identity. You've experienced the joy of knowing God and full forgiveness. Surely don't want to participate in these things that the children of wrath would participate in. You used to walk in those, verse 7. You used to walk in those while you were living in them, but no more. But no more. Going on to verse 8 and 9, the social sins of speech. Paul addresses here. But now you must put them all away, he says. The idea of putting them all away is like taking a complete set of clothes off and putting them completely aside. I'm done with these things. I'm done with anger. Anger is this this resolute, deep bitterness. It's like a smoldering fire that's that's there. Um, It doesn't bring about the righteousness of God, James 1 says, but it's a smoldering fire. It's closely related to wrath, the next word. That, that word in the Greek is, is thumos. I had a, a seminary professor that said, wrath is like this explosion. It's this thumos of anger coming out of us. And so you see they're closely related there. Anger and then this, this wrath, this thumos, this explosion of anger. And it leads to malice. J.B. Lightfoot calls this the, the vicious nature bent on doing harm to others. Maybe it's in this context of speech even. I am bent to harm people with my, my speech. All these three things lead to slander, don't they? Anger, wrath, malice lead to slander. Uh, this word, when it's related to God, it's called blasphemy, this Greek word, but when it has people after it, it's slander. Okay, Obscene talk, abusive speech intended to hurt or um, held accountable for this. In Matthew 12, 36, uh, every careless word is a word we will be held accountable for. And lying. Satan has been called the the father of lies. He's not your daddy. He's not your father, right? So we don't follow in his his footsteps. In that podcast I was listening to, uh, Mark Dever said this next phrase. I'm paraphrasing here. I don't think I got the exact quote here. I was running and trying to speak into my phone. Give us some hope here to putting these things to death. He said, nothing on the earth can rule and succeed in your life any more than the crucifixion defeated Jesus. Is that hope for you as you endeavor to put off your earthly desires? Nothing, none of these earthly desires can rule and succeed in your life any more than the crucifixion defeated Christ. And we know the end of that story, don't we? He conquered death. Death could not hold him. And we have that Jesus to turn to. There is a need for us to to focus on the gospel and to starve ourselves of focusing on these earthly desires. There's a a phrase that we say in our our household, garbage in brings garbage out and Bible in brings Bible out, right? If if we don't starve ourselves these earthly desires, we just keep taking it in and wonder why am I still struggling? Because what we're taking in we need to take the Bible and we take the truths of God's word in and that's what will come come out of us so let me ask you this question thinking of of the applications there at the bottom of your sheet did you come today weary of earthly desires look at that list back again the, the 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 social sins of speech we just covered anger wrath malice slander obscene talk lie. Oh, it's just a little lie. It's not that big of a deal. That's an earthly desire. We're supposed to put that to death. You become a little weary. I have great news for you. Take heart. Despite the pressures, your flesh, the culture around you, it is possible to put off your earthly desires. Jared Wilson, when asked about the gospel, said this. The gospel, the gospel provides freedom from the past The gospel provides power for the present, and the gospel provides hope for the future. Freedom from the past, you're not condemned anymore. Power for the present to put to death your earthly desires, and hope for the future. So, like the new parent, wide eyed, looking for some fuel to be a good parent, believer, our Savior. Who can identify with you in every way says to you, it's possible to put off your earthly desires when fueled with gospel thinking. Let me pray that would be true for us. Heavenly Father, we are just desperate people. We're more desperate than we realize. God, we need to be more desperate. We're in need, in need of your help, in in need of the gospel to fuel our thoughts, our everyday thoughts as we we sin as we, as we leave this room, as we are impatient with a child running in the hallway, as we're impatient with someone who bumps into us and doesn't say, excuse me, God, will the gospel fuel our thinking? Help me to put off an earthly desire right now, Father. Help me to have compassion on that child, the compassion on that person. They're in need. I'm in need. I'm no better than them. God, we, the, the gospel is the great equalizer. The ground at the foot of the cross is flat. There's no one greater than another. Help our hearts to be bent towards our deep need for the gospel today. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.